Do School Better, a podcast for people who want to transform education. Join Doris Corda, Hawkins School's Associate Head and Director of Entrepreneurial Studies, as she shares her experience as an educational reformer told through conversations with Assistant Directors Tim Desmond and Allison Tanker. It's not about being the smartest person in the room. In this episode, Steve Blank interviews Doris for his radio series, Entrepreneurs Are Everywhere. Hear what Doris learned as an immigrant, engineer, and entrepreneur that led her to develop her different models for teaching and learning. Entrepreneur-turned-educator Steve Blank is credited with launching the Lean Startup Movement. He's changed how startups are built, how entrepreneurship is taught, how science is commercialized, and how companies in the government innovate. He teaches at Stanford, Columbia, Berkeley, and NYU, and created the National Science Foundation Innovation Corps, now the standard for science commercialization in the United States. His Hacking for Defense class at Stanford is revolutionizing how the U.S. defense and intelligence community can deploy innovation with speed and urgency. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Are Everywhere on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Steve Blank. I'm Steve Blank, and you're listening to Entrepreneurs Are Everywhere on Sirius XM's Business Radio 111, powered by the Wharton School. My next guest is Doris Corda, Director of Entrepreneurial Studies and Associate Head of Hawkins School, an innovative and independent K-12 school in Cleveland, Ohio where she runs its academic curriculum and directs the Entrepreneurial Studies program. And she's here to tell us about how she's preparing the next generation to thrive in an entrepreneurial world. Doris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. Hi. Hi. So, uh, Doris, uh, before we get into how you came to this, because it's one heck of a journey, why don't you just tell us, what are you doing now, and what's entrepreneurial preparing students for what? what sure, sure. So uh, I'm not alone in thinking education's broken, and we're not preparing what worked before doesn't work now. What we're, does that mean? What I mean is the school system that we have now was created at a time when what mattered most was that everybody learn pretty specific content. And it worked. It worked for a long time. You mean like math and history? And yeah, like these are the things, if you're going to take a math class, these are the exact things you need to know. And this is what, out of all of what's happened in history, you need to graduate high school having learned the following things, et cetera. Yeah. And in Common Core. And, don't and we yeah, Common Core is different. That's uh, actually the first set of standards I've seen that's based on... Um, concepts more than I it, so, so it's but that's a whole different, different topic story. but okay. basically um what we don't do is you know right now what the world needs is uh not a bunch of people who graduate high school and can recite from memory the quadratic formula but we need people who can be smart about knowing what questions to ask and how to solve really complicated problems that the world's never seen yet and there was a time when you know, having the information gave you the power. I don't know if you ever had anybody in high school who held on to the notes and didn't share them when you were, but that's no longer the case. It's, the problem isn't getting information or data. It's knowing what to do with it. And So that's interesting. It's, it sounds like what you're saying is education was kind of developed when people went to work for factories and needed sure. to have a basic knowledge of math and absolutely and the industrial model that's what we've got and now we got a very different model the uh, factory jobs are 
maybe not predominant in the U.S., still are some, but there's a very different knowledge economy where you need a different set of skills. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And, and we don't we don't have a school system that get where students learn those skills. And is that what you're doing? And that's all about what I'm, that is what I'm all about doing. Well, absolutely. So I want to get to that. <laughs> but, we'll, yep. but we'll start with, uh, you've had an interesting journey to end up as an educator. Yeah. You, you didn't start as an educator. I didn't start as an and, educator. And, and so where'd you grow up? I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And, and your parents had an interesting journey to get to Columbus. Right? Yeah, my parents, um, so I'm an immigrant's kid. I learned English as a second language, and um, I grew up, although very early. What I, was the first language? Hungarian, but I was really young when, when I learned uh, English. So it, it's, uh, I was uh, three and a half when we moved to Columbus. But my parents were uh, involved in the Hungarian Revolution and um, ended up having to leave when it became clear that it would was failed and the Russians rolled in and it became bloody. And they, um, they left with basically three things. They left with a, uh, a backpack that had diapers for my sister, who was a baby, and sleeping pills to keep her quiet during their escape. They left with their education, and they left with each other, and that was it. And so they made their way via London and Canada, where I was born, ultimately to Columbus, Ohio. And so I grew up in a family where life was really different at home uh, and outside of home. How so? Um, you know, the Midwest in the 60s and 70s was a wonderful place to grow up, um, but very Midwest, and uh, we spoke a different language. The culture was different. You um, spoke Hungarian, Hungarian at home? Yeah, we ha spoke Hungarian at home, and then it, like, like, as you'd imagine, it got to be a mix of English and Hungarian very quickly. Um, but And what did your parents do? My father was, uh, both parents were engineers. My father. Your mom as well. Yeah, my mom as well. Wow. Uh, in the Midwest in the 60s. Right? Well, yeah, she actually, she was, uh, she they ended up having four kids, and so she quit being an engineer um, when uh, my baby sister was born. But she was an engineer at a time when there weren't a lot of female engineers. Was she a role model? Uh, she was absolutely a role model. Mm -hmm. And so in high school, did you know you wanted to be an engineer? Or, um... Absolutely not. No. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had a bunch of different things I wanted to be. By the time I graduated, um, my class... Uh, it wrote this thing, and, and I was going to be the next Secretary of State, and I thought, well, that's a good idea. I like that. <laughs> and so what did you, where'd you go to college, and what did you end up majoring in? Well, I started at Northwestern, actually, in studying journalism. But Great I, school for that. Yeah, but it is a great school for that. But I ended up uh, reluctantly agreeing with my father that um, I needed to get what he considered a more practical degree. So I switched into engineering. Really? Yeah, and I went to, I graduated undergrad from Ohio State with a degree in systems engineering when and, my father was teaching. And why'd you pick teaching. Ohio State? Um, my father was teaching there, and I could well, go for a, nothing. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a good hint. That's he got a, really tired of the Northwestern bills. No, that was yeah. very Midwest values. Yes, too, exactly. Right? And so you ended up as an engineer. I started as an engineer. I worked at Bell Labs and AT&T, yep. Oh, so that, that 
that was your first couple jobs. Yeah. At, at Bell yeah. Labs and AT&T. Yeah. And wasn't this about, well, first of all, what, what did you do at Bell Labs and AT&T? Well, it was really interesting. I, uh, I, I um, and actually, this is complete, uh, just luck of the draw, but it, it had a pr pretty profound effect on me. When I started AT&T, um, I was an engineer, and I joined a group where everybody in the group had come up from the inside. They'd been engineers who'd been promoted up into the group. And what were you doing there? What, what was I was you? designing systems for very large media companies. Got I was designing. So your systems engineer, big systems engineer, very big systems. McGraw Hill, NBC, yeah. CBS, ABC, the works. And wasn't this the time AT&T was breaking? Well, up? that was what was interesting. So eight months after I started, um, there was the breakup, and. Uh, and remind our audience, Breakup was AT&T used to be this giant monolith was the phone company. It was company. the monopoly. It was the, only, it was the only phone company that existed that you could use. Hard to remember. We had a na essentially a national phone company. We had a national and, phone and company. And then we broke it up into what were called regional bell operating companies. Bell, right? Regional bell operating companies separately. Bell Labs as an R&D arm. AT&T Communications as a separate entity. So this massive, massive organism was broken up to, into piece parts that had all these rules about not competing with each, about not sharing, and it, it was crazy. How'd you become an innovator inside of AT&T? What happened? Well, because I wasn't paralyzed, um, what I did is I looked for ways to create, to take the piece parts that my particular unit was allowed to work with, and I partnered with people all over the company that I was allowed to partner with, and I created solutions. I basically so you built new products from built new products, products that and, yeah. And and were you thought as an innovator or crazy or? Uh, well, it was really exciting because they were so desperate for any kind of competitive success, and I was really really successful. So I ended up at an age, very early age, being promoted put on the fast track, taken to all these, given awards, all this stuff. And when I look back and I think about how young I was and what they let me do, they were crazy. And so, and so did you keep doing that, or was there another job inside of at and Well, then I went into, there was a small group formed with by actually the chairman of AT&T um, within Bell Labs to create um, a product uh, basically from a mathematical breakthrough. What was the breakthrough? Uh, it was in the area of linear programming, of optimization problems. This wasn't was, a traveling salesman. This was, this, was a, this was a guy named Narendra Karmakar. It was sure, on that's the, the cover. Famous, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Remind but, our audience what it was. it was. Well, what he did is he found a completely different way to solve simultaneous equations. That's well, what really does that the mean for the practical way. world? Well, it's resource allocation problems. So in, you could solve, for example, if... Um, scheduling problems in orders of magnitude less What's time. a scheduling problem? Um, airline scheduling problems or resource allocation for what? the DOD. How what does do that I, mean? That was so a, it's about yeah. optimizing resources. So, so if you have a, if you have a, um, you think about the network of, of airports and airplanes and all the different moving parts, his algorithm applied allowed those those flights and schedules to be done in 
fractions of the time. So they had this algorithm. And, yeah. And, but what was the product and who figured out how well, to sell it? Well, we created it. Was a, that you? Well, I was the one to do the product management on that team. Uh -huh. So I was the one to do the marketing, the product planning, and the sales. And how did you figure out what customers needed? Um, I asked a lot of questions. I uh, talked to, to a lot of people. I worked with... Um, I worked with airlines. I worked with the. Oh, so you got DOD. out of the building. I got totally out of the building. I worked with the Department of Defense. I worked with Solomon Brothers. So you learned a lot. I learned a ton. And so, what did you? Why didn't you stay with AT and T forever? What happened? Um, what happened was that uh, basically my husband wanted to move. Got a great job back home in Ohio. Really? Yeah. So you went from AT&T to back to Ohio? I went from AT&T back to Ohio. And so did you want to do that? Well, my father wanted me to take over his engineering business, which and? was very successful. And I did that for about three months. And I realized quickly that as ex that I, I wasn't... Working for your dad isn't yeah, well, kind of a retrograde? It actually, the biggest issue was I found out I wasn't particularly into plumbing designs. So I really missed He's doing plumbing? Is well, he was doing construction-related engineering. And I realized it wasn't, it didn't float my boat. So, so did you get into a high-tech? Was there a high-tech in Columbus? I did. Huh? I did. I found a company, a small network company called OrderNet Services that was part of Sterling Software. And they had just made an acquisition. And wait a minute. Sterling was a big software company? Big software company based in Dallas. And what did they do at the time? They had a lot of communication software. I see. And then in Columbus, they had this teeny little operation. There were 78 people in a basement. And they were one selling. One hell of a basement. It was one hell of a basement. And they were selling. Uh, they weren't all in the basement. They were on the first floor, too. That's that's mm -hmm. an exaggeration. And they were selling network services um, in a world called electronic data interchange, if you remember what and that was. Why don't you remind her on it? Uh, it was, um, it was um, networks to allow companies to exchange business documents, invoices, purchase orders. Yeah, and that was incredibly new at the time. That was incredibly new at the time. To actually do this instead of sending paper, you had a standard format to kind of send invoices and, and That's right. other shipping data That's right. that all of a sudden computers That's right. could read and, and That's right. you didn't need that stack That's of paper. Right. And so that Sterling was one of the pioneers. Sterling was a pioneer. They were, In this, fact, didn't they grow to be like the fifth or third largest They company? were. They By the time I left, we were the fourth largest software business in the world. Wow. And the division, the software products that I built with, this, with, with the team of others, um, is still part of IBM and is one of the uh, is still dominating its market in translation software. So, so let let's kind of take almost a halftime break here. You your whole career now sounds like we're talking to an engineer and you know, <laughs> and and somebody who's on the path to do their own startup. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. You're exactly. On, you were having a good products. time building products. Absolutely. And, and so let's just take the break and summarize. What did you learn to this point in your career? woman in engineering and engineering in the Midwest. I mean, it, what, well, I'll tell you what I learned. First of all, um, I learned, I learned to ask questions and not to be afraid of asking questions. And that sounds like a simple thing. But back then, in the tech world, it was mostly engineers talking tech, bits and bytes. Uh, and there was very, I, I don't remember people talking about solutions. And I was really... What's the difference between tech and solutions? Well, the difference between, it's everything, right? Solutions are something that solves somebody's problem. Ah. 
right? Somebody's problem. Somebody's problem. And I was, uh, you know, I worked at Bell Labs. I worked in a lot of organizations and with teams where there were lots of people in the room a lot smarter than I was technically. And they were the smartest people in the building. And they were the smartest people in the building. And I really, really always wanted to know what, why, why should we do this? Who wants it? What, who needs it? And I talked to people. And, and did the engineers at the time care? Uh, no, they didn't care. <laughs> because they, they thought they, they were, they were the smartest people in the Absolutely. building. Absolutely. <laughs> I have, I you know, these wrinkles and gray hair. I got it. I got it, uh, honestly. No, you know, one of the, what I learned, I learned a lot about asking questions, asking why. I learned how to get shared interest, how to kind of form and cultivate shared interest amongst very people with a, a, in a system where everybody had individual interests. And that sounds like a fancy thing, but it's, it's really just about a lot of relationship building. And did you learn stuff about talking to customers? or what? I talked to customers all the time from start to finish, and I learned that every— And you weren't even in sales. I mean, so that I was wasn't pretty... in sales. I built sales forces along the way, of yeah. course, when I built businesses, but I, I wasn't in sales. And so that was pretty unique at the time, right? Yeah, but I—you um, know, you use terms—you coined terms that are so brilliant, and they didn't exist Stop. at the time. No, they didn't exist at the time. But this notion of an MVP, minimum and, viable, product. yeah, of of figuring out what's the smallest thing you need to build to fix what they most need fi to fix, that is the that was the story of my life as an entrepreneur and engineer. And at Sterling, we were all about keeping those profit margins really high. We had very very low expenditure on R and D, so a lot of our products, frankly, were based on not so great technology. So I asked a lot of people. Figuring what out what the MVPs were. Yeah. And how about being a woman as an engineer at the time? Any yes. pluses, minuses? Notice, um, didn't notice? Well, I noticed at spots along the way, but I'm, uh, I also, yes, what I learned from my parents, I'm pretty stubborn. And I kind of refused to acknowledge it was an issue, and I operated that way. Got it. And so here we are. You're, you're kind of on a great trajectory to, to do something wonderful. And all of a sudden, you decide not to. Yeah. What, what happened? What happened was Sterling got really big and really successful. As a software company. As a software company. And I was doing extremely well. I was running a huge organization. I was making a lot of money. And I started realizing that um, I didn't enjoy my day. We got really big. As I mentioned, we were the fourth largest software business in the world when I left. And I realized I like to build stuff more than run stuff. And so I quit. It seemed abrupt to everybody else, but I'd been thinking about it for a while. So what did you decide to do? Well, I was consulting for a while, but in the meantime, I, uh, we had kids. And I had been running and building this big software business, so I'd been totally absent from my daughter's schooling. And I volunteered for everything. And one day... Um, an administrator at my daughter, she was five, at her school, asked if I would, she, they'd had a teacher quit in the middle of the year, teaching just one math class. And she asked if I'd try out to teach the one math class. And I thought, sure. And I tried it, and I was hooked. I, yeah. that, that was it. And you became a teacher? I became a high school math teacher. No way. Yeah, I did. I and, did. And, 
do you still teach or now? Uh, I've been teaching. I've been an educator for 20 years. So I taught, I, uh, I taught math for 14 years. I, when I started teaching, I was horrified by what we were teaching and how we were teaching it. I spent 14 years building new ways to teach so that students would learn. <coughs> and and you, you teach this curriculum at Hawkins? And I now have an entrepreneurial studies well, program. Well, I want to know how you went from math, yeah. the math curriculum, to a entrepreneurial curriculum. What happened? Well, when our... Um, after learning a lot about teaching and learning, I decided I wanted to find a school um, where I could really build stuff to do school better. And um, I found uh, I found a school, Hawken, in Cleveland, that is committed to being a laboratory for how to how creating creating new educational programs to change education. And I'm there. And so they allowed you to experiment on They on allowed me to experiment. I, but I was there a month, four and a half years ago, when uh, the head of school there, Scott Looney, said, hey, with your background, do you want to create an entrepreneurial studies class? And I said, yes, I do. Yeah. Did and you I, know what you wanted to do? Or? Yeah, I did. I oh, wanted, you did? Yeah, I did. I wanted to um, create a class where students learned by solving real problems on teams. And I wanted to show how they could learn really hard stuff. You mean instead of reading about entrepreneurship, yeah, actually yeah. experience? Exactly, well, well, exactly. That's a breakthrough. It's crazy. I know crazy talk, right? Yeah. And the fact that they would even have this in a curriculum rather than, gee, why aren't they taking advanced calculus? Oh, for, exactly. Did exactly. you encounter that in school? Oh, hugely. Well, so, What were some of the barriers in putting an entrepreneurial program in place? Well, so we, we wanted to create a, a class that was this radical, weird class where showing that students could learn skills like we're talking about um, creative problem solving, collaboration, all that stuff. And it's a class that gets academic credit in a high school. So you're immediately taking on uh, political, <laughs> you know. What kind of political anything. problems? Do you well, have? Um, you're talking about a class that uh, gets uh, honors English credit in a, an independent high school college prep. You're talking about a class that students take instead of their AP bio class. So, and it's very different. Um, so... Uh, you mean took, it's, it's like an opportunity cost? That there's an opportunity take, cost. If take a student this take this, takes this class, they're not taking other things. And so you, they don't get the college advanced placement. So That's if I'm a right. parent, I'm going, what the heck is what this What the stuff? heck is this if you're college counseling? Hey, Steve, you've got great grades. You've got a great track record. You could get into Stanford if you're a good student. Uh, don't take that because then you won't. Don't take the entrepreneurship. Yeah, don't take the entrepreneurship because that's two fewer AP classes that you'd be taking. And, so and in the early couple years, we, we, we had a tough time. And then uh, what happened was is the students came out of this transformed. And So you did find some guinea pig students. We talking. did find some guinea pig students. And the, the early on students were not the strongest students in the school, high school by a long shot. And they came out of this blowing school away i mean we had kids who were amongst had amongst the lowest gpas in the high school coming in who came out and got into nyu stern school who created portfolios of things they showed 
to college admissions offices and got into schools they had no business GPA-wise getting into. And and so I assume now the school and parents are believers. Yeah, that... they're really believers. Yeah, it's so, really so great. So let's talk a bit. What is the what is the curriculum? What is the? So I find real businesses with real and urgent startup problems who around are, the Columbus uh, around Cleveland. Cleveland. Who are, yeah, who are willing to let a bunch of high school kids work on them. Wow. So for real. For real. So we find. So they get out of the building. They totally get out of the building. And do they learn? Some... They learn creative problem solving. They learn collaboration because it's all on teams. 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 Wow. So it's like a startup. It's like a startup. So they're on four different teams doing working on real problems with real deadlines. Um, they learn critical thinking. They read more and write more. You can't imagine how much. They learn quantitative analysis. They learn statistics. Wow. They learn a lot of really Is this hard a single stuff. semester or uh, the it's whole year? It's a single semester. This version of it that we have now is three honors credits, so it's really a luxury. They, they it's three, it's sixty percent of their schedule for that semester, Got so it. they have the time to do it. But we've also done it as single courses. So, Darcy, that's it's one exciting. heck of a journey. It's isn't fun, it? yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. I, I mean, you know, if I look back in your career, you made a personal impact as a. As an engineer, but as an educator, you're transforming thousands or tens of thousands of students' lives. Well, it's not me alone, that's for sure. But what's exciting is there are a lot of people now who are taking on education as a startup. So, Doris, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Doris Corda, Director of Entrepreneurial Studies and Associate Head of Hawkins School in Cleveland, Ohio. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Doris. Thanks, Steve. You can find out more about Hawkins School at uh, www.doschoolbetter.com or follow, follow Doris on Twitter at Doris Corda. That's Corda with a K, K-O-R-D-A. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show or would like to learn more, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com and be sure to follow me at Twitter at, at SGBlank. Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to listen for another edition of Entrepreneurs Are Everywhere on uh, next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. I'm Steve Blank, and you've been listening to Entrepreneurs Are Everywhere on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. For more information and resources, go to doschoolbetter.com. Podcasts created by Tim Desmond. Doris Corda, and Allison Tanker. Produced by Tim Desmond.